0: This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Rachel Maddow Show, Media Matters, Counterspin, On the Media, Need to Know, The David Pakman Show, and The Young Turks, with a bonus clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Onion.
1: Did you hear about the big David Vitter scandal today? David Vitter... Last 4th of July, when he was a candidate for re election to the U.S. Senate, David Vitter made an appearance at a 4th of July event in Lafayette Parish, Louisiana. It was an event significantly funded by taxpayer dollars, an event called the Red, White, and Boom Concert by the Acadiana Symphony Orchestra. Local Democrats saying now that it was improper for David Vitter to be making campaign season appearances at events like that, when they are taxpayer-funded events. It's like turning taxpayer money toward your own partisan gain. The big scandal with David Vitter today? There are questions about whether he's going to be invited back to the Red, White, and Boom concert again this year after last year's controversy. That's the David Vitter scandal of today's news. Kind of a high-class scandal to have, right? It's kind of a high-class problem to have if you are a United States senator who has been caught patronizing hookers. Because after all, the should I or shouldn't I appear at the Red, White & Boom concert scandal is the kind of scandal you can really only have if you are a member in good standing of the United States Senate, which David Vitter remarkably Is. No Louisiana Republican, no Republican member of the United States Senate, no elected Republican at all anywhere ever appears to have called on David Vitter to resign from the United States Senate once he got caught up in the big hooker scandal. That fact has, of course, not stopped Republicans from calling on other members of Congress to resign for their sex scandals, even when their sex scandals didn't involve criminal behavior and paying for actual sex. Of course, not calling on people to resign depends on the people caught up in the scandal not being Republicans. Because the point is, David Vitter is a Republican. And it's okay if you're a Republican. If you're not a Republican, though, if you are, say, a Democrat like Congressman Anthony Weiner, well, I'm sorry, you have to go. As David Vitter has undoubtedly pondered his luck throughout this Anthony Weiner scandal. Democrats have not only refused to hold Republicans accountable for the double standard, but they have joined, Democrats have joined with Republicans in piling on with the demands that Anthony Weiner had to resign even as David Vitter stays in the Senate, even as no national Republicans ever called for John Ensign to resign either. Today, all of that piling on by the Democrats in particular produced its perhaps inevitable result, and Anthony Weiner resigned. Our offices, uh, you may know, are at 30 Rock here in New York City. Um, and when we are at our offices here at 30 Rock, covering news events as they unfold across the country or across the world, the way that works here technologically is that we see tape, we see footage as it's being fed in. That's what they call it. It's essentially just a fancy kind of uploading that uses satellites. Uh, sometimes stuff gets fed in live, sometimes tape gets fed in after the fact, after the event. But what we see here at 30 Rock, in our system, in the control room or in our computer systems, when we are waiting for a feed, what we see always starts like this, these little color bars. This tells you that a feed is about to come in from a news event somewhere. This one right here is a sort of generic one. Uh, NBC News CH is NBC News Channel, which is where all of the NBC affiliates send their video. Uh, and that is the, what it says about Above that, Charlotte, North Carolina, that's located in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, here was a feed that we got in today out of Indiana, WTHR13, which you see right there. That's one of our NBC affiliates in Indiana. This was a feed that we were getting in today from Georgia, a video of some wildfires that broke out there today, WTLV and WJXX. Which you see there, again, NBC affiliates who are covering that area in Georgia. And, and, and this is this is sort of standard. This is how these color bars usually look. This is the way uh, they're, they're usually labeled. When it came time for the Anthony Weiner is going to resign press conference feed today, here's what the color bars looked like. Ha! H-A. Ha! We thought at first, perhaps this is some sort of internal NBC prank? No. Um, the satellite truck that was covering the Anthony Weiner press conference today is an H-D High-definition truck, that's the H, and it was truck A, hence H-A, ha, which broke everybody up when we saw it, because everybody's got this up on their computer screen, we're all waiting for this feed to start coming in, and this is what everybody is staring at. And it is sort of the perfect inadvertent commentary from within the machine about what just ended this congressman's career. It is not some foregone conclusion that bad behavior in office leads to the end of a congressional career. David Vitter and his hooker scandal, as we have noted, David Vitter is still there, getting caught up now in other, lesser, friendlier controversies. His former colleague, John Ensign, lasted for years after his sleeping with his staffer slash cover-up slash illegal lobbying slash payoff thing was exposed. Democratic Congressman Charlie Rangel of New York is still a member of the House, even after he was found to have violated 13 separate House rules related to taxes and gifts. Democratic Congressman William Jefferson of Louisiana, the $90,000 hidden in his freezer guy, he stayed in office until his constituents made the decision. They eventually voted him out. John McCain won his party's nomination for president of the United States. Years after, McCain was caught up in the savings and loan Keating Five scandal, an episode Mr. McCain called the worst mistake of his life, but not one, of course, that caused him to resign. Republican Senator Larry Craig, he also stayed in office after the whole wide stance airport stall thing. You know, even the current Speaker of the House, John Boehner, he did not quit when he just straight up got caught in a smoking gun corruption scandal, handing out checks from tobacco companies on the floor of the House to members of Congress while a vote was being taken in the House on tobacco industry subsidies. Wow, Congressman Boehner got caught physically handing out those checks in that way and he apologized for it
2: it was a big mistake and i regret it i shouldn't have done it
1: john boehner apologized for that bad behavior but he did not resign he waited it out went on to become speaker of the house here he is yesterday on the south lawn of the white house at the congressional picnic enjoying tobacco companies in a whole different way in some of these cases members of congress caught up in a scandal caught up in illegal behavior or or in just bad behavior In some cases, they had their careers ended by their constituents when they stood for re-election, like William Jefferson. In some of these cases, they never left Congress at all. They are still there, more or less bruised by the scandal, sure, humbled by it for a minute, but they stayed. They apologized, and life went on. Anthony Weiner, though, who is not accused of corruption, who does not appear to have done anything illegal, who does not appear to have even had sex with any of the people with whom he had scandalous talk and picture taking. For him, a line was drawn. His behavior was intolerable. None of those other scandals were intolerable behavior. But Anthony Weiner's behavior was intolerable. He had to go. And in the end, the fact that he had to go had much less to do with Anthony Weiner's behavior and the badness of his behavior in the scheme of things had less to do with that than it did with the media's reaction to his bad behavior. Congressman, your wife is not here. Are you going to split up with your wife because of... My, I
3: love my wife very much. Are you going to explain?
1: Where is she, where
4: is she? Then, sir? Where is she? You said
5: you, you
4: were on the phone. Did you, did you have phone sets with these women?
3: You... I apologize first and foremost to my, to my wife and to my family.
4: Where is she right now? Where is she right now?
3: She is not here.
4: Where is she? These were young girls, very young, at
1: twenty-one years old. That's, uh, does that bother you that the, the young? I don't know the age, I I don't know the exact ages of of the women, and they. So not to be your children. When Anthony Weiner initially copped to the online behavior that he had previously denied and he apologized for lying about it, uh, that press conference was frankly a circus. From the screaming question about his wife and and, and girls who hypothetically could be as young as his non-existent children, uh, to the hijacking of the podium before he spoke by a right-wing blogger, to a man from the Howard Stern Show screaming out profane interruptions throughout the whole thing.
5: Do you have
3: to support Harold's love child? Were you fully your What made you decide? Were you fully erect or are
6: you
1: capable of war? Anthony Weiner's press conference today where he actually announced his resignation uh, was hijacked by the same sort of nonsense interjections, nonsense interjections that were in equal parts patently offensive and grossly appropriate profane satire of what this whole thing has become.
3: Today I am announcing my resignation from Congress. Yeah! So my colleagues can get back to work, my neighbors can choose a new representative, and most importantly, that my wife
1: and I can continue
3: to heal from the damage I have
1: caused. This was not a congressman having to resign because of his bad behavior. This was a congressman having to resign because of the media treatment of his bad behavior. When that same Howard Stern Show sidekick guy started screaming pornographic jokes essentially at Anthony Weiner today, and then the TV cameras cut right to him. And then he ended up getting interviewed after the press conference as a source of information about what was happening with this congressman's career. That was not a departure from this story. That was this story. That was the perfect culmination of this story. The snake circling around and starting to eat its own tail. This is the media covering the media ending a man's career. The media's own coverage in both its volume and its character creating the circumstances that forced his resignation, which of course they all gathered to cover. Anthony Weiner's behavior online was gross. His lying about it was gross too. And Anthony Weiner's resignation carves in stone the partisan double standard about whether immoral behavior ends careers, whether illegal behavior ends careers, despite which party it is that makes personal sexual morality its political platform. Anthony Weiner's resignation also, frankly, feeds the beast. If the key to ending somebody's career is not the severity of their bad behavior, but rather how much press coverage you can generate about any level of bad behavior, then congratulations, Democrats, in an era of unhinged, ideological, big money, conservative media that is wholly and admittedly divorced from the precepts of journalism. In hounding Anthony Weiner into resigning, because of the distraction of all this coverage, in hounding Anthony Weiner into resigning, you have just fed and unleashed this beast against yourselves, probably for a generation.
7: This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Jess Levin. On Sunday, Chris Wallace hosted The Daily Show's Jon Stewart to talk about the comedian's
4: frequent criticism of Fox News.
2: Well, here's the deal. (laughs) Are you willing to say the same thing about the mainstream media, about ABC, CBS, NBC, Washington Post, New York Times? Would you say the same thing about them, that they are In your words, a propaganda delivery system relentlessly pushing a liberal agenda. No, I wouldn't say that.
7: Whenever the subject came back to Fox News itself, Wallace was quick to change the subject, even going after Stewart's employer, Comedy Central.
8: No, no, one more example. Who is the most consistently misinformed media viewers? The most consistently misinformed? Fox.
2: Fox viewers. Consistently. Every poll. Can we talk about your network? (laughs) <laughs> yes can we talk about Comedy yes. Central
1: joining us now is Jenk Uygur host of MSNBC's 6pm live show uh, and of course of The Young Turks Cenk, thanks very, thanks very much for being here
9: Thanks for having me, Rachel.
1: Uh, Jack, I wanted to talk to you about this because you have been one of the few people in our business really aggressively advocating that Anthony Weiner should not resign. Why do you think he should not have resigned, and how do you feel now that he does? Now that he has?
9: All right. Well, let me address it in two different ways. First of all, it's a scandal about his private life, which I don't give a damn about. JFK had endless mistresses. FDR had mistresses. Who cares? Did that affect the New Deal? Did that affect the Cuban Missile Crisis? This has nothing to do with substance. He did nothing illegal. And the second reason is more important. This is what Republicans do. They come after the strongest people in your party. And if you back down, and that is what Democrats do, you they will keep coming and they will keep coming. Right before I came on here, Rachel, I thought I had written about this before. I went and checked Back in 2005, one of the first blogs I ever wrote, it's called Seven Step Plan for Media Domination and Opponent Destruction. And it explained what Republicans do. And step one was attack the strongest Democrat. At the time, it was Howard Dean. Now, we see Anthony Weiner, one of the strongest progressives, attacked. And then step six is something I was amazed that I wrote this six years ago. Quote. Get your opponents to take down their own people for fear that they will keep getting asked the same annoying, senseless questions from you and your proxies in the media. And the reason they will give is the one you conveniently planted. The target has become a distraction. Look at that unfold. It's unfolded over and over. And at the time they had done it to Howard Dean. You know why? Because he said that Tom DeLay might, uh, sh- maybe should go to jail. You know what happened? Tom Delay got convicted many years later. Howard Dean was absolutely right, but at the time, they turned up the outrage machine. How can the head of the DNC say something like this? And what happened? I've got quotes from Biden, from Bob Strauss, who was the used to be the head of the DNC, and John Edwards saying, "Oh, we can't have a Democrat doing things like this.
1: It's a distraction." Wow. On that distraction issue, Nancy Pelosi today, Jen, held her her usual uh, weekly press conference. Right, all the networks, including ours cut away, we're taking it live, and they cut away from it when she said instead of talking about Anthony Weiner, she would be talking about jobs. That was it. That was the end of the coverage today. You think they're going to take her next press conference on jobs live now that Anthony Weiner has resigned because now the distraction will be over?
9: The answer to that question is hell no, they're not. (laughs) Okay. And look, I get it, right? Because it's titillating you oh it's funny and it's actually what i call the snicker rule you're in a lot of trouble in this country if you're a politician and what you got caught doing, whether it's pictures, and look at all of it Chris Lee, Anthony Weiner, shirtless pictures, gone, right? Mark Foley, funny text, Weiner, funny texts gone, right? If it makes the media snicker, they're gonna cover it. Did you see in those mics that they had for Weiner? One of the mics was extra. When extra and things like Access Hollywood show up at your press conference, you're done for. The problem with Vitter?
1: It was just phone records. Phone records aren't titillating, they, they don't make you snicker. That's why he's still a senator. We get John Ensign, though. We get the special counsel report on John Ensign. The special counsel report on John Ensign, I felt like I had to wash my hands after reading it. Not because the special counsel had done anything wrong, but because the details in it were the sexual equivalent of gory in terms of what he had done, the level of detail they had on the behavior that got him chased out of the Senate. He resigned just a few inches ahead of the pitchforks that were chasing him out of there. And... The John Ensign scandal, it sort of made sidebar stories for 24 hours, and then it's gone. That, I mean, I get that the picture thing makes a difference, that it is a visual medium. But I I, I believe there is a partisan agenda in pushing different, pushing different sex scandals more than others.
9: You know, I, I had Pat Buchanan on the show today at 6 o'clock, and he said, You know who I defended? Richard Nixon. Why? Because he was my guy, and he laughed at us. He laughed at progressives, saying, "You guys never defend your guys," and it makes it so much easier. Republicans always circle the wagons, and then you know what they do, which is very important. And again, what I wrote about about six years ago, they use the media. They say, "How dare you not cover this terrible scandal by Anthony Weiner?" Later, Boehner would come out and say, "Oh, it's such a distraction, right? Yes. How disingenuous." But when it comes to Republicans, they say, "You know what? This is so salacious. How dare you cover this? You know." I am so ashamed of you in the media, and the media goes along with it every time.
10: Well, if toning down the crazy constitutes success in a Republican presidential debate, there might be trouble ahead. A June 15th report from the Associated Press explains that CNN's upcoming debate will be co-sponsored by the Tea Party Express. As the AP reported, quote, the Tea Party movement will be holding viewing parties across the nation and topics for the debate will be tailored for the interest of this political insurgent movement, close quote. CNN Washington bureau chief Sam Feist agreed, explaining the relationship this way, quote, "...it's valuable to the audience, it's interesting to the viewer, and it sends a message that it's not just a debate by and for journalists." Close quote. So having a far-right political movement shape the event is better than having your own journalists write the questions. That's a strange thing for a journalist to say, let alone a bureau chief. But CNN has had a long relationship with the Tea Party Express. They embedded a reporter with the group's 2010 bus tour. When Michelle Bachman wanted to deliver a Tea Party response to Obama's State of the Union address this year, CNN sent a camera to bring that web chat to national television. The Tea Party Express group was booted from a national Tea Party federation last year over the racist writings of leader Mark Williams. The current leader, Amy Kremer, once defended another racist Tea Party activist and flirted with birtherism. On top of all that, other Tea Party activists have long complained that The Express isn't really a grassroots group at all, but the project of a political action committee set up by two Republican consultants. What CNN is doing associating themselves with these folks is anyone's guess.
11: When President Obama proposed his health care plan to Congress roughly two years ago, it included a provision for Medicare to pay for the visits of patients opting to discuss their end-of-life care with a doctor. That small part of the health care bill snowballed into a major controversy when Sarah Palin dubbed it a death panel. PolitiFact quickly debunked the false claim of death panels, even as the media covered the issue incessantly with more than 800 related articles appearing in newspapers around the country. Dr. Regina Lawrence is a professor at Louisiana State University's Manship School of Mass Communications, where she and a colleague recently presented a paper analyzing how the media covered the death panel claim.
4: When we began this study, gosh, two years ago now almost, we went in with the assumption that news stories would either debunk the claim in some way or they would do he said, she said. What we actually found is that in a fair number of stories, they did both. And we weren't prepared to find that. You, could, you had a fair <laughs> wait, 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 number of I'm stories. I'm sorry.
11: That, You're saying that, that there would be a paragraph that says, uh, the sky is not brown. And mm-hmm. then they would go to the brown camp and get a quote from them. The sky is indeed brown. Yes,
4: yes, and that was one predominant pattern in the coverage.
11: Uh, permit me to play devil's advocate here. Please. On the face of it, it would seem that having debunked the claim, it is a pointless, even silly, uh, even dangerous exercise to give airing to the opposing view. On the other hand, there's the question at hand are there death panels? Is there climate change? Do vaccines cause autism in children? These have been settled scientifically. But the political controversy does continue. So aren't journalists stuck if they ignore the political controversy? Perhaps they're uh, abdicating their responsibility to report the underlying politics.
4: I think that you're right, and that's exactly the dilemma that we wanted to illuminate in this paper. That journalists are stuck, as you put it. There's even a, a trap there, if you will. Because if a policymaker or politician wants to make news, it's pretty easy to do so with one of these very, um, you know, controversial claims that is sure to get news attention. And once others begin talking about it, particularly in this case, you have the president, prominent members of Congress, all then reacting and trying to either promote the death panel's notion or, you know, knock it down as the president himself did in a number of town hall meetings. Once you've got that going on, what is an objective reporter to do? Because after all, one of the leading definitions of news really in practice is what powerful people are saying. That's the news.
11: What if I said to you that whatever journalistic solution is finally uh, embraced matters not at all, because other academics have shown, again and again, two things. Number one, the more we hear the claim debunked, the more we believe the original misinformation. And the second academic revelation, that we tend to believe whatever we wish to believe, irrespective of the uh, available facts.
4: It's also important to remember, though, that's one part of the audience. There's still a big middle out there which is not so polarized, which is not so defined by predispositions that you can't reach them. And for that middle, I think it's the repetition that's especially problematic because for that middle that maybe has less political knowledge and less political views to guide them, they just hear death panels, death panels, death panels. And for them, the outcome can be, oh, there must be something to this death panels business.
11: You studied newspapers, and not cable news, for example. But one of the problems in the daily newspaper business is it's daily and it's transitory. And that once you cover a story and there's nothing further to add, that's that. So once you do the politifact due diligence uh, and print it in the newspaper, that's taken care of. But these supposed controversies tend to be ongoing. And you can't continue to run the same politifact debunking every time the subject comes up, or can you, should you, should there there be some sort of, I don't know, graphic device that says, you know, this story has already been deemed to be just so much nonsense.
4: That's an interesting point. Would it be possible to have that little sort of, you know, informational fact box, if you will, (laughs) sitting beside each one of these stories that are talking about something like death panels, which is relatively easy
11: to debunk? Truth and labeling. The issue being discussed by these politicians has been determined by Politifact to be a big bunch of baloney.
4: <laughs> it would have to be a little bit more involved than that, I would think, if you really wanted it to be useful. But uh, you could provide a paragraph or so with a, you know, um, the address of a website to go to to learn more.
11: Uh, can you give me one reason why I shouldn't be just curled up in a fetal position and and sobbing? <laughs>
4: You know, I really think, I mean, don't you? Journalism is in a key moment of of crisis, obviously, economically, but also in terms of figuring out what the model is for news in the future. This might be a great uh, starting point for thinking about how do you break out of those tried-and-true formulas of just covering what the politicians are saying and doing the he-said-she-said. Isn't this a great opportunity to break out of that and and find news that people will find more useful and that hopefully they'll find more interesting and will tune into?
0: Dollars a month, or even fifty-five dollars a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So, for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com.
4: From our science desk, also known as nerd to know. While some political observers have complained that there wasn't much substance to this week's Republican candidates debate, it may be that substance doesn't matter as much as we'd like to think. A recent study from researchers at Yale University indicates that facts aren't likely to sway us towards one viewpoint or another. Instead, we humans go with our gut and rationalize around contradictory evidence. If the researchers are right, then the winning candidate will be the one who speaks to people's emotions and not their brains. In the current issue of Mother Jones Magazine, science journalist Chris Mooney looked at why charts and graphs are less persuasive than old-fashioned charisma. Need to know Win when Rosenfeld sat down with Mooney to discuss how our emotions are influencing our politics.
3: By now, we all know that May 21st was not the end of the world. But in the months leading up to that date, a small but vocal minority of folks was convinced that it would be. Believers like retired New York City worker Robert Fitzpatrick found any other outcome to be downright irrational. Is there any doubt in your mind that tomorrow the rapture begins? No, we are, there's too many proofs. There's too, it's locked in. But curiously, when May 21st came and went with the world still intact, seemingly incontrovertible proof that the prediction was wrong? Church leader Harold Camping and many of his followers responded as if the rapture had in fact happened after all.
10: May 21 was a spiritual coming, uh, whereas uh, we had thought it was a physical coming, but he has come. He
12: He said the rapture did happen, it was just an invisible rapture
3: and the world still will end on October 21st.
12: Uh,
3: Author Chris uh, Mooney interviewed uh, dozens of experts on psychology, neuroscience, and sociology to find out why our beliefs so often don't depend on logical conclusions. What he learned left him unsurprised that Camping's clan stuck to that notion that the the world was coming to an end. end. Because while that particular belief is definitely outside the mainstream, the reason why they hang on to it is not out of the ordinary. People
12: rationalize their pre-existing convictions about religion, politics, what have you, their identity, um, through argument, and they think that they're being logical, scientific in their mindset, but they're really being more like lawyers and they're really arguing to defend a point.
3: That tendency to rationalize rather than analyze is something psychologists call motivated reasoning. Motivated reasoning tells us that our emotions kick in before logic does. So, no matter how rational we think we're being, there's a very real chance that we're not doing anything more than justifying our preconceived beliefs. History is filled with examples.
11: May Day brings a wave of anti-communist sentiment as 100,000 march down New York's Fifth Avenue in a loyalty parade.
3: In the 1950s, Americans feared that the communist menace had infiltrated our nation.
6: One communist on the faculty. Of
11: one university
6: is one communist too many.
3: And Senator Joe McCarthy claimed he possessed a list of communists working within our government. That claim set off a wave of accusations where thousands of American citizens were branded as communists or communist sympathizers. The problem, of course, was that nobody ever saw the names on that list. In fact, McCarthy never produced any evidence. But despite that, according to a 1954 Gallup poll, 50% of Americans still had a favorable opinion of him. Motivated reasoning had kicked in, and the Red Scare kept many Americans from needing anything more than McCarthy's word. Politics has
12: always been a very emotional realm, and the most successful politicians have obviously moved people's hearts uh, more than their minds, or at least as much as their minds. The problem is especially when emotion drives us to not accept the facts that are the basis of political decisions. Did climate change happen? Uh, is it caused by humans? Were there death panels in the healthcare bill? Was the president born in the United States? These are matters of fact, all right? And we need to have that factual baseline in order to really deliberate and form consensus.
3: Let's take a, sort of a big, a big issue like, uh, like climate change. Sure. Uh, the data seems so overwhelmingly unambiguous and yet it's still
12: very divided. That's what motivated reasoning explains. That's what's so crazy and wild about it, is that if you are confident and you've spent a lot of time researching the issue, then you
3: know, you've know you assimilated all this information and you've made it fit your identity. Motivated reasoning says that we will pick and choose the data that affirms our preconceptions. 72% of Democrats are worried about global warming, but only 31% of Republicans are. In fact, the single biggest factor for Americans when it comes to belief in climate change is party affiliation.
12: Parties are groups, tribes with which we affiliate. Um, And so we judge what we think about a variety of issues based on the tribe.
3: For instance, those with liberal tendencies are generally more comfortable with more government regulation and federal intervention in business. So proposed policies like a cap-and-trade system or a carbon tax are more consistent with their worldview. Conservatives see the world differently. Get your hands off of my marketplace.
12: They've come to associate the idea that global warming is happening with the solution that we will impose upon the marketplace, and then they've rejected the idea that global warming is happening.
3: Are we doing this more than we used to? Is this becoming more prevalent, uh, that we're sort of subjugating logic to our motivated reasoning? I mean, I think
12: we both have polarized politics that are emotional, and we have echo chamber effects for
3: information. So I think that
12: those are two things that exacerbate the situation.
3: And we can see the echo chamber effect in action. We have so many sources of news available that it's easy to stick to blogs, radio shows, and cable channels that conform with our pre-existing beliefs. But motivated reasoning doesn't depend on the mass media machine to operate. Everybody's doing it, all the time. The
12: idea is that everyone is susceptible to this, but it's not at all surprising to hear that we do this in our relationships, you know, or in our personal lives. I mean, people rationalize staying in a failed marriage. You know, people rationalize, oh, my kid isn't a bully. People rationalize, you know, it's, it's okay to keep smoking um, because I'll quit five years from now, but right now I need to, you know, stay
3: thin. Is there an evolutionary reason that we do this? I mean, it seems like it would not serve us well to be acting illogically, but maybe it would? we have evolved
12: to be able to react very quickly. The reasoning system is highly influenced by the
3: emotional system and the emotional
12: system acts first.
3: Our prehistoric ancestors were constantly faced with immediate danger, and acting fast was more important than thinking deeply.
12: And it makes sense that we would be able to respond quickly to threats, um,
3: because this is is self-preservation. It's a process so deeply ingrained that many of Harold Camping's followers held on to faith even after waking up on May 22nd. So, if the continuing existence of the world didn't convince them to change their minds, what would? I'm guessing that something that might work would not be someone
12: like me coming in and telling them about how their brains work. Uh, they would probably find that offensive. Maybe, you know, Uh, you know, they're Christians, so other Christians who don't believe the world is going to end. Coming and talking to them and affirming, you know, we share this worldview, we have all these things in common. Um, But you don't have to believe the world's going to end on a
3: particular day in order to be a Christian. It can be disheartening to think that logic and clear heads aren't necessarily the factors that prevail. But popular support for things like emancipation, universal suffrage, and the American Revolution Came from stirring people's hearts as much as their minds. So a little motivated reasoning may not always be the end of the world. There
7: Hey, why do people believe stupid stuff even when they're confronted with the truth? couldn't tell you. Well, there's something called the backfire effect. I was really interested to read this this morning on YouAreNotSoSmart.com. It's also cross-posted on alternate. alternate.org. The backfire effect is at least one piece in helping to explain how these strange or illogical beliefs resist reason. Resist science. And when we're talking about particularly conservative ideas, we really need to analyze this in detail, do we not? Indeed. The misconception is that when you have a belief and it's challenged with a fact, you would alter your opinion and kind of incorporate that new information into your thinking. That would be the rational expectation, would it not? Right. The truth is, when you have deeply held beliefs or convictions and you are challenged with contradictory evidence, your beliefs often get stronger. And we see that happening day after day with Sarah Palin supporters, which is incredible, because now we're actually able to put a name to what it is that's going on. In other words, Sarah Palin supporters are told by John McCain that she is qualified to be president, something that is laughably untrue, Okay, And then she says, well, you know, Paul Revere told the British that they weren't going to take our guns, or we were going to take their guns, or whatever. And it confirms she's completely unqualified to be president, she doesn't know absolutely anything, and in a way, people get further behind her. They support her more after hearing that. And the backfire effect could be attributed to this. Once something is kind of in your collection of beliefs, you have this inkling, this idea that you want to protect it from harm. In other words, anyone who challenges something that you've already put into your set of beliefs, you want to protect. I think it makes perfect sense.
0: Right. I mean, we see that a lot. With, uh, with uh, you know, religious examples. Oh, that's the prime example. Yeah. Religion
7: is the prime example. And here's another, just to not get into that, because I know people will say, well, religion's a little bit of a different thing. There's faith, there's all these other things. Fine, let's leave religion alone. 76. Ronald Reagan's running for president, he would tell the story about a Chicago woman who scammed the welfare system to earn her income, and Reagan said she had 80 names, she had 30 addresses, she had 12 social security cards, which she used to get food stamps along with more than her fair share of money for Medicaid and other welfare entitlements. He said she drove a Cadillac. She didn't work, she didn't pay taxes. He talked about the woman who he never named in just about every single small town he visited. And, It made his audiences mad. They said, oh my God, that's terrible. We need to vote for Ronald Reagan because he'll end that. And the story basically created and solidified this idea of the welfare queen in in the American political discourse, and it influenced the conversation about welfare for years, as well as public policy. It was also completely untrue. But that didn't matter. It got into the system people started believing it, people were influenced and they started believing this story about the welfare queen, and it was too late. Facts were not going to change it. Telling people you know what, this idea that someone would have a child just to get more money doesn't make sense, because if you look at how much additional money you get, it's not enough to even support that child. That should be a fact that should make people say, oh, Maybe I need to challenge my beliefs. Maybe I need to question what I'm being told. Maybe the conventional wisdom and what I hear on Fox News and from conservative analysts, so-called analysts, isn't true. But no, it tends to reinforce the belief. If you believe something and someone's trying to give you facts that suggest otherwise,
0: they must be trying to trick you, Lewis. Right. Now, is this something that political advisors have known for a long time and been using to their advantage? Because I feel like just hearing about this study now, this can't be the first uh, anyone's heard of it
7: this isn't so much a study but an analysis and
0: and absolutely political
7: experts and advisors are aware of this absolutely and this is why to to make bring it recently the birth certificate thing this is why hardcore doubters who believe barack obama wasn't born in the u.s. or that he's a muslim or whatever else they're never going to be satisfied with any amount of evidence put forward suggesting otherwise
0: even the birth certificate
7: when the obama administration case in point released the long-form birth certificate because as you know ladies and gentlemen a short-form birth certificate is worth absolutely nothing these days when they that was released in april the reaction from birthers was exactly as the backfire effect predicted well there must be something wrong with the birth certificate it must be a fake birth certificate it must be forged there must be wrong information it's suspicious he waited two years and then he released it that's the reason why we need to believe barack obama is a foreigner. so there is a complete disconnection from reality i think the backfire effect is a brilliant way of explaining why people do believe stuff that is completely unsubstantiated by fact and you're absolutely right Lewis, that if we want to open up the religious Avenue for this type of thinking, we could do a year of shows just on that. Right. But we're not going to do that. I hope not. Why? I don't know. Probably just because we're short on time, but also because we'll get a lot of angry emails, I would say. Hey, David Packman here, host of The David Packman Show at davidpackman.com. If you're like me, you're a regular listener of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with Jay Tomlinson. If you like that, I invite you to check out my show, The David Pakman Show. Not only will you hear the best of the left, but you'll also hear some of the worst of the right, including some of the craziest bigots and racists around. But don't worry, I don't agree with them. Check out DavidPakman.com, check out our show, continue listening to Best of the Left podcast, and even consider becoming a member of The David Pacman Show, all at DavidPakman.com.
9: Turns out, uh, some of the top conservative think tanks are funneling a lot of that money uh, to uh, the top right-wing talk show hosts. So, Heritage Foundation, probably the largest conservative think tank, has even two million dollars to Rush Limbaugh and 1.3 million dollars to Sean Hannity. Now they give it to their program, and then they get ads and promotion, uh, et cetera, uh, it, for that deal. Now I'm a little split on this. By the way, there's a lot of think tanks doing it now uh freedom works uh, americans for prosperity to so-called tea party groups also giving to glenn beck freedom works is a big sponsor of glenn beck uh and uh and mark levine is another uh host that's getting some of this money now the reason i'm split on it is one is it's it's logical right now if you're looking to get new conservatives um, you know going to rush limbaugh's program or glenn beck's program is a sensible place to go to you know Raise up your email lists, or to your donors, or whatever. And some of these groups say, "Hey, we made more money, and and that's why the ads make sense because people signed up, and we made a lot of money off the signups, off the programs." So I'm not hating on it, you know. The problem, though, that this presents is that are they really representing their true opinions, you know, Rush Limbaugh, etc., or are they getting paid a lot of money to just present the opinions of these think tanks? Now it's tough to tell because they're so like-minded and so again that I I'm being fair there saying I get why that happens on the other hand let's say they disagreed and you got 2 million dollars coming in and it's they're not paying you for your disagreement they're paying you for your agreement right and rush limbaugh has defended for example the heritage foundation on air not as part of an ad but as like oh no no the heritage foundation they're definitely because these people have internal conflicts from time to time and what the smaller conservative think tanks or charities are concerned about is that the big guys are pushing them out and overpowering them by using by buying the conservative talk show hosts is that happening to some degree oh of course it is there's no question about that but and and look again to be fair like beck says hey you know what i, I, I advertise freedom works and he says sometimes when he's talking positively in the middle of the show about freedom works says look i'll be doing an ad for them a little later Okay, so that's good That's he should do that right now having said all this th- the main problem is the guys who fund the think tanks the guys who fund them are you know obviously some of the richest people in the country uh... some of the corporations that are going to benefit from some of the laws that are passed uh... and of course coke industries has funded all three of those groups right now there are other funders as well but coke industries is a huge funder for all three of those groups so coke industries wants uh, less EPA regulation because uh, they're some one of the top polluters in the country, uh, and they some of their products have carcinogens, and they want to make sure that that does not get regulated, that that gets into our products that that we either consume or use, right? So, lo and behold, Glenn Beck, Sean Hannity, et cetera, the rest of them are like, oh, the EPA nonsense. Okay. Oh the regulations over oh, overregulated. I can't believe how over regulated we are. How did I do David Koch? Did I do all right? Charles Koch, everybody happy? Okay. Uh and of course they against cap and trade and you can go down the list. Uh you know, banks give money to think tanks and all of a sudden the uh, think tanks turn around and give millions of dollars to Rush Limbaugh. All of a sudden Rush Limbaugh is totally in favor of deregulating the banks. Look, he probably would have been there anyway. He probably would have had that opinion anyway because he gets paid for that opinion all along anyway, right? Look at his advertisers, etc. right? Is it a coincidence that Glenn Beck thinks that the greatest thing you should buy right now because of the calamities that are about to fall upon us is gold and his main sponsor is Goldline? Look, so I know how it works. I understand. But I'm letting you know so you know where all this is coming from. So the Rush Limbaughs and all those guys are never going to disagree with the Koch brothers because that's where their bread gets buttered. So all those top uh, guys who want the main thing they want is lower tax cuts, right? I mean, more tax cuts, lower tax rates, right? And so you'll never hear any of those talk show hosts saying, "Hey, you know what? Maybe we should have a reasonable rate tax structure." They weren't saying it before; they certainly ain't going to say it now. So again, mixed feelings. Some of the ideas are, you know, are similar anyway, and it makes sense that those groups would want to get membership from. The, that audience but at the same time it, i'm sure it greatly influences the opinion of those hosts and they should be try to be as upfront about it as possible
5: In a rational media world, right-wing provocateur Andrew Breitbart would be shunned. His Acorn videos were deceptively edited hit jobs intended to destroy the community activist group. Media followed along, and the anti-Acorn agenda thrived. He smeared Agriculture Department worker Shirley Sherrod as a racist, based on another deceptively edited video. But lo and behold, there is Breitbart profiled in the June 27th New York Times which tells readers about the, quote, undercover video he released of acorn workers offering advice on how to evade taxes and conceal child prostitution. Close quote. The videos actually show no such thing, as critics like Fair have pointed out to the Times. But since the inaccuracies have been printed as fact in the so-called paper of record so many times, they're treated as if they are. And that's really the Breitbart lesson. Scream about liberal media bias and at the same time enjoy a massive publicity for your mostly factually challenged exposes. How does he get away with it? Because sometimes news outlets decide they can't tell who's lying and who's not. Just look at how the Times explained it telling readers that Breitbart's videos, quote, "...tend to act as political Rorschach tests. If you agree with them, you think what he does is citizen journalism. If you don't, his work is little more than crowd sourced political sabotage that freely distorts the facts." Close quote. Now that is absurd. If you think that Breitbart distorts the facts, that's because he does. To suggest otherwise is to assert that there's no way to ever know the truth about anything, which is unfortunately too often the standard in so-called objective journalism.
9: John Stewart goes on Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace, uh, and he is in a combative mood. Now, uh, they of course have been looking to lay this trap for a long time. They know John Stewart's going to come on, so they're ready and they're ready to go. (laughs) We got you, right? Well, so they get into a little battle. Let's see how
2: they did. Let's watch.
8: The bias of the mainstream media is towards sensationalism, conflict, and laziness. You Uh,
2: take your own shot Uh, recently at Sarah Palin. You compared her video of her one bus one nation bus tour to a certain commercial Sarah Palin and her herpes drug really yeah as a technique for the commercial
8: you don't you so you're saying that by comparing the technique that she used in her video to, to a, a herpes technique commercial, used in a herpes commercial. you were not
2: making a political comment
8: you really think that's a political comment yes you're insane yeah here's the difference between you and I I'm a comedian first, my comedy is informed by an ideological background, there's no question about that.
2: That is your dodge. Stewart has never held accountable in his media criticism, is he? When he is wrong, he goes into the tap dance of saying, he's only a comedian and shouldn't be taken seriously. Let's talk
8: about that. When did I say to you, I'm only a comedian? I said I'm a comedian first. That's not only. Being a comedian is harder than what you do. Are you suggesting that you and I are the same? Are you suggesting that what am I at my highest aspiration, and what are you at your highest aspiration?
2: I think. Tell me honestly. honestly. I think you want to be a political player.
8: You are wrong. The embarrassment is that I'm given credibility in this world because of the disappointment that the public has in what the news media does. I don't think. Not because I, think, I have an I ideological. Think, I don't think our
2: viewers are the least bit disappointed with us. Who One is more the example. most consistently
8: misinformed media viewers? The most consistently misinformed.
9: Fox. Fox viewers. Consistently. Can every poll. All right, so Hubbing Post put together a nice collection to give you a sense of that interview. Uh one thing they didn't put in there because Fox News edited it out was uh John Stewart reference to Bill Salmon in the emails that he sent. Now he was one of the uh people in charge of news, one of the executives in charge of news for Fox, and he w- he sent out memos, and those memos were eventually leaked uh where he said all right now let's call obama a marxist and a socialist and then uh people like media matters tracked after those memos were sent they went back and looked at the tapes and lo and behold on fox and friends and uh other uh, so called news shows on uh on their channel uh let me give you one ex- uh, more example and there are plenty uh it is a program called Fox Live Desk, and that is a news program. Next thing you know, of course, not only is Bill Salmon coming on himself to call Obama a Marxist, but uh, the anchors, et cetera, start talking about is Barack Obama a Marxist? We should have a discussion about whether Barack Obama is a Marxist. Having nothing to do with, I'm sure, the memo that your boss sent you to start that talking point. And then later, Bill Salmon, by the way, said that when he first started talking about it, he was ma- largely making it up, but that it stuck so well that he was surprised uh, after the Obama administration uh, came into office that he began to think maybe it was true. Well, how are you not merciful for telling us that you're lying in the first place that you spread through all the Fox News shows, news shows, uh then later you begin began to believe yourself. Wow, right? So that is what uh part of what John Stewart's referring to and Chris Wallace sits there with a smug smile on his face, like, "Oh please, <laughs> like, like we would ever be biased or anything." While, by the way, admitting as you saw right there in the tape, our viewers aren't disappointed. They know exactly what they get. And at one point, he said, "They get the opposite view, meaning they get the conservative view." Okay, then why don't you stop calling your network fair and balanced? Because obviously, you don't even think so. You're their main so-called news anchor for their main Sunday talk show, and you don't think the network is fair and balanced at all. You think you're presenting the other side, the conservative side. So it does that prove uh, John Stewart right? And when you go to John Stewart's uh, larger criticism of the media, uh, well, I think that's true too, and that goes to the point of whether. Uh, what John Stewart is doing is comedy or not comedy, if it's politically laced or not. First of all, Stewart is very honest. He says, I come at it from a certain perspective, and I don't deny that, right? My comedy comes at it from that perspective. But is it comedy? Well, of course it is. It's, he makes jokes, people laugh at it, right? And the reason that it's funny is because it's so damn true, right? And the reason that people have started taking him seriously, and this is the important point that Stewart's making about the media, I think the media generally misses, right? And that's not just about Fox News. He's saying people are coming to me and giving me credibility because it, we it appears that we are presenting the reality of it. If they got that reality up elsewhere on real on cable news on mainstream media etc. well then we would just be considered comedians. So, oh, they're making fun of reality, it's funny, etc. But it seems like people are starved for that reality and they're coming to us a comedy show to get it. He is absolutely right about that. There's no question about it and when he could, uh, goes to his point specifically about fox news and how misinformed they are the viewers well that's a fact there's a uh, was actually a study done by program on international policy attitudes about fox news viewers on iraq on almost every single issue whether saddam had Connections to Al Qaeda, whether Saddam had weapons of mass destruction. Even after the war, even after Bush said he does not have weapons of mass destruction, we didn't find it. Fox News viewers were consistently more ignorant than the rest of the country, still claiming things that were patently untrue. When you go to worldpublicopinion.org from the University of Maryland, look at these devastating numbers. Uh, economists estimate that the stimulus created uh, more jobs, right? And these are independent, nonpartisan. Etc. And the numbers are a little over a million jobs created by the stimulus. Uh, Fox News viewers, of course, were 12 percent on average less likely to know the facts about that. Then you go down the list. Economists have estimated that the health care law uh, will actually—it's—and this is not just a <laughs> an estimate; it is fact. It is Congressional Budget Office, again, nonpartisan, etc. It will not worsen the deficit; it'll make the deficit better. How uh, uninformed were Fox News viewers about that? 31 points more uninformed than the average viewer. Why? Because Fox News keeps telling them, oh, deficit, deficit, out of control. This health care law, deficit, health care law, deficit. It makes it seem like the health care law actually added to the deficit. When it does not, it does the opposite. It actually takes away from the deficit. Fox News viewers don't know that because they got fed propaganda. You go down the list, the economy is getting worse, they think, by 26 points. Wrong. Now look, the economy's got massive troubles. I talk about it all the time. But as a matter of adding jobs, it has been adding jobs, not reducing jobs. We it, you know, by the standards of the recession et cetera et cetera, the economy's been getting better. I wish it did better than that. But if you think that the economy has been actually getting worse under Obama, well that's just flat out not true. You don't know the facts. You're ignorant cuz you watch Fox News. All right, more. Scientists do not agree that climate change is occurring. That's what Fox News viewers believe. 30% more than the average viewer. Again, not true. 97% of the world scientists say climate change actually is happening. Uh, the, again, an in indisputable fact. Stimulus legislation did not include any tax cuts. For Fox viewers believe that 14% more than other viewers. A third of it was tax cuts. That's not economists think is the economy improving, is that objective or subjective. It's in the bill. A third of it was tax cuts, right? And Fox News viewers go, well, I don't know. That's not what, you know, Brett Baer told me. That's not what Chris Wallace told me. That's not what Bill O'Reilly told me. No, I, I no, it had no tax cuts. Well, you are wrong. You're demonstrably ignorant because you watch Fox News. That's part of what uh, John Stewart was pointing out, and he's backed up by the facts. By the way, I've got a list that is twice as long as what I read you. I don't want to bore you with how incredibly wrong Fox News viewers are because executives hand down memos to their anchors including their so-called news anchors telling them to misinform people. By the way, another one, there was another uh, leaked memo from inside Fox News, a news executive telling all the anchors stop calling it healthcare proposal by uh, the administration or by the Democrats, start calling it Obamacare. And lo and behold, all of a sudden all their anchors start calling it Obamacare. That's not a news anchor. That's an opinion. And look, I've said this a million times. I don't have any problem with Bill O'Reilly saying, I'm a conservative, I do a conservative show. God bless, nothing wrong with that. I'm a progressive, I do a progressive show. But when they have their so called news anchors taking Republican talking points and presenting them as part of the news and saying Obamacare on the news, well, that's not a news program. That's a slanted propaganda, and they are getting it from the Republican Party, which Roger Ailes nearly runs. Chris Christie admitted, the governor of New Jersey, that Roger Ailes is one of his advisors and hence he doesn't have to reveal uh information that they discussed. Fox News gave a million dollars to the Republican Governors Association and the list goes on and on. Again, John Stewart for the win, Fox News for the fail.
6: This is Gene from Tampa. I I've been kind of like holding it in for a while about the uh, you know various subjects actually. Um, starting with uh, Mumia Abu Jamal, I noticed uh, a lot of people take a really strong disliking to, or at least a lot of the callers, to Mumia, and uh, I don't think they really understand uh, Mumia's situation. Mumia holds, you know, the he, he very he adheres to the facts or. Not the fact that, I'm, um, you know, that's debatable. But he expresses that he's innocent. Um, you know, there is no one man that can determine, I mean, especially if the evidence isn't all there, that can determine whether or not a person is innocent or guilty of something. Sometimes we lock people up, and they die in prison. And they're completely innocent. Um, this happens all the time. And Guantanamo Bay, for instance, those kids in there and, and, and adults and... and Innocent people that are in there have no voice. They can't talk to anybody. There, you know, one thing you can't take away from a man is is or a woman, sorry, is their right to speech. I mean, there are thousands of in, 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 inhumane things that a person can do to another person, but to take away their voice is probably the worst thing you could do to a person, whether or not they've committed a crime or not. No matter how bad the crime is, I mean, we have mind Kampf on the shelves of your local library so mumia and i'm not comparing mumia to Hitler at all don't get me wrong i love mumia the guy is a genius he's you know he's an anti-capitalist anti-racist anti-imperialist and i mean he's done so much for me as an adult he's really affected my life and my, my political views again thanks for everything you do thanks everyone for listening bye
13: Hello, it's Jonathan from the Left Coast to Portland, Oregon. I am calling to request that possibly you compile a show about methamphetamine. It is such a gash darn problem in this country. Um, it's really gotten out of control. It is our zombie apocalypse. You don't know if you haven't been around them, but my God, my God, it's coming. It's here. It's freaking here just start shooting them or whatever you know, getting some help. But seriously they're here. Okay. Have a great day.
6: Hey Jay, this is Marcus calling from Belmore, New York. Um, I wanted to call in for a while now. I just started listening to you a couple months ago. I'm working on a membership. Um, I actually called in because I heard a comment uh, maybe a couple weeks ago where um, a woman called in and she had mentioned the people's budget. And I hadn't heard anything about it before, so I figured I would look into it. And I did, and it's awesome. Um, I would just like to echo her call to have you know, all the members that listen to your, your show give their Congress and their senators a call to bring this up for action because it actually makes sense, unlike the ones that they're actually talking about. Um, I wish you all the best, and thanks for having an awesome show. Take care.
13: Hey, Jay, it's Nick here from Amherst, Massachusetts. Uh, I'm calling after your June 28th episode on energy and climate change. And I'd just like to let you and your listeners know that even though these problems can seem seriously insurmountable, there really are there really is a very tangible way that any of you can make a difference. And that's by supporting the already substantial and rapidly growing renewable energy industry here in the U.S. Well, the federal government did quite tragically the path of comprehensive energy and climate legislation up to now there really are uh, a number of other federal state and local mechanisms which are aiding renewable energy projects as we speak they range from limits for either the production of or investment in renewable energy to federal grants for renewable projects to state renewable energy targets Um, unfortunately many of these mechanisms are set to at the end of this year or the next and thus, if you're looking to make a contribution to this cause, you really should, you really need to call up, email, or write your congressmen, senators, local reps, aldermen, whatever, and ask them where they stand on these issues. Because we still do, theoretically at least, live in a democracy. And unless a politician understands the concerns of his or her constituents, the only tugs he or she will ever feel are the ones to satisfy the needs of the corporate donors which have exercised their quote-unquote right to free speech with their monstrous contributions. Okay, that's it, Jay. Um, thanks for the amazing podcast. It's pretty much the best thing I've got going about my commute. And, uh, yeah, take care. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. Today, of course, I want to continue to continually announce the new program that allows you to easily share individual clips from the show on your networks via Facebook, Twitter, Plain old email and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, this is something I'm really excited about. Of course, the whole point of this show and by extension of, of this new program is to get all of this great content that you know and love into the eyes and ears of more and more people. You know, if you think like I do, that's kind of the whole point of of all of this. And uh, and you know, you'll agree that it's important to get this sort of information and, and opinion out to the masses. So, if you can help out with that, it really is incredibly easy. Just go to bestoftheleft.com and check out the show notes, where you will see linked up all of the all of the clips from this and every future episode, and uh, and corresponding links to share those you know each exact clip uh, through those networks as, as I mentioned. Now, if you feel like going above and beyond, even even all of that, you can do that as well. I've mentioned this before in passing a little bit, uh, but it is definitely official now that the David Pakman Show, the Young Turks, and myself have all partnered up to uh, pool our resources a little bit and and help in a promotional effort, integrating volunteers into that where we are actually in like actual contact with you, and uh, you know you'll get messages from us by email, and we have monthly conference calls where we actually get on the line and and converse directly and get feedback from from the volunteers so that is also happening if you want to go above and beyond uh, and and you know really want to help out and help spread the word about our shows just drop me a line and i will get you plugged right into that program so now, of course, I want to thank a couple of people who uh, help keep the show going in a variety of ways. Uh, first, the volunteers who actually helped uh, you know, put, put the show together in a variety of ways. Mike, Colette, Todd, Joe, and Laura. And a special thanks to uh, Lauren, who is an absolute all-star uh, and has been helping out with the show a lot recently. And she's pretty much awesome in every way I have uh, seen so far. I'm sure she has a horrible dark side but um but she's done a good job hiding it so i appreciate that and also a special thanks to emerson who provided the technological wizardry that helped make this new program on the website possible uh he did all of the coding to make sure that the uh sharing links actually work and do what we say that they're going to going to do and uh it Took way, way, way more work than it should have, uh, but but it did anyways. And he was the one who did all that. So huge thanks to him. And uh, and now for members, of course, who support the show financially. Felicity H signed up for a leftist monthly membership back on October 18th, and Jeffrey M signed up for a socialist yearly membership back on March 1st. So huge thanks to Felicity and Jeffrey and all of the members and donors who keep the show going. Uh, you know, obviously, I couldn't have the time to do uh, everything that uh, it takes to make the show happen without the financial support. And uh, so that's what makes the whole thing tick. Now, if you like what you're hearing, you want to stay tuned in between episodes, join up with us on Facebook and Twitter, and for details on the show itself, including links to all of the original sources and music used in this and every episode, all those details are always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 11 times a month, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show, from bestoftheleft.com.
6: Black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right